you would be honest with where your heart's at. Honest with what your heart, where your heart is on thinking on uh, where others are at and what they're going through and, and, and the uh, vast compromises that we make within the church today that set us at an odds to seeing the gospel go forward. Because what we should want and what we should desire more than anything else is for the church to be united, for the church to be a place that is found of saints that are seeking for God to be glorified in everything that we do, that are seeking for God to be the utmost and the highest in everyone's lives. And what we see today in the church is that's not the case. And what we want to see more than anything is that God is the utmost in not only each and every one of our lives, but each and every one of his churches that are founded by his people. Amen? One could say that even though we are focusing on Acts 2 this morning, that our time together is more like a general overview of Acts and what the church is supposed to be. I believe that many don't understand who and what God has called us to be as the church So we sit and criticize as we look around at other churches. The problem is, is there's probably been a lack of discipleship and a lack of discernment according to God's word. And so we see these deficiencies within God's church. The book of Acts and tying it to its proper cohesive epistles that were written during the unfolding of its history paint the picture of the church that is worried not about what everyone else around it is doing, but faithfully living and functioning according to Christ and what God has called us to do together. So what is the definition of church? We would go to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and the first definition that is found says a building for public and especially Christian worship. It's kind of a lacking definition. A building. Now remember, this is man's definition of what the church is, and over the years they have amended and added extra definitions to what the church is, and I believe their third amendment of what the church is better fits what God calls the church, a body or organization of believers. A body or organization of believers. The church is not a building, but a people. This, is not, this building is not CCBC. The building that my church is worshiping in right now is not North Park. You are CCBC. We are the church. That is what we must be remember and be reminded of as we go forward as God's people. We, the people, redeemed, transformed, and set apart by God's grace in Christ are the church. But over the years, we have seen the church become a monument, an idea rather than a movement of people. And this isn't universally true, but it is the norm rather than the exception. Lloyd Ogilvy, a former chaplain to the U.S. Senate and former pastor of Hollywood Presbyterian Church, tells a story from his student days about a memorable experience sailing on the Queen Mary from New York to Southampton. He recalls that it was a magnificent ship, though his student budget made him stay in deck double D. He didn't have a whole lot of funds to stay in a good place on the ship, but he found himself constantly going to the deck of the ship, enjoying the salt sea air, seeing this magnificent ship 
cut through this huge and magnificent ocean that God's created. As he explored the ship, he tried to imagine what it must have been like aboard the Queen Mary in her prime, a lovely pleasure vessel, and then his troop ship carrier, carefully evading enemy submarines. Many years later, Ogilvy saw the Queen Mary once again, the museum piece, docked in Long Beach Harbor. Her gigantic engine was gone, as were most of her sailing equipment. Souvenir shops lined her decks. The dining and lounge areas have been adapted for special groups and conventions. Her cabins were refurbished hotel rooms. Actors had been hired to play the part of officers, crew, complete with professional British accents. Ogilvy was understandably disappointed. His own words best describe what happened. While on board the motionist queen, I viewed a documentary movie about how she was built and the way that she had served through wars and changing history. The movie ended with a triumphant but somehow tragic statement. Supported by a sweep of dramatic music, the great ship that ever went to sea is now the greatest ship to come and see. The words were still in his mind the next day as he preached at Hollywood Presbyterian. He greeted the congregation following the service, and a woman visitor from Iowa made a comment she meant to be a compliment. The similarity to those closing lines of the movie made it just the opposite. She had heard about Hollywood Church for years and had been inspired by the influence of its preaching and missions and the ministry on America that it had. With excitement, she said, I've waited for years to visit Hollywood Presbyterian Church to see all the great things that it used to be. That it used to be. Not exactly the words that a pastor wants to hear after preaching, right? But those are the exact words that she said. Wanted to see the exciting things that it used to be. Every church faces the danger of becoming a historical monument, and no church is further than a generation away from that happening. Every Sunday morning, I give a quote to our congregation, and this morning's no different. I'm going to give you a quote from C.S. Lewis. You can write it down if you like. It's from his book, The Four Loves. He says, every Christian would agree that a man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. A man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. If we don't have a proper love and understanding of God and the work that he has done, is doing and will do in the days to come, then we will succumb to the pressure to become like the world. And we'll be a monument and not a movement for God's glory. That should scare the pants off of all of us. That it is easy for us to get so wrapped up in the agendas of the world around us and what is being propagated in our news and political outlets that we forget that what drives us as the people of God is his word. Not Fox News, not CNN, not our agendas or whatever we think that we're seeking after, but God's word. This morning we're going to look at four distinctives that we find in Acts that are further articulated in the entirety of Scripture when looking at the people of God and who the church is supposed to be and how we are supposed to function. But before we do that, I would love for you to stand with me as we read God's Word. 
will be in Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. And God's word says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Let's pray together, church. Dear Lord, I thank you and I praise you for this time together. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love that is unmerited on our part in any way, shape, or form. But Lord, that is why you are so good. Because in the midst of our neediness, in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our brokenness, Lord, you sent your son to die a death that we deserve. How great are you, Lord. Lord, I pray in this time, as we have this great opportunity to gather as your people around your word, Lord, that you would change hearts, change minds, transform us to look more and more like your son and not like the world around us. That we look more and more like Christ and not seeking after the self-seeking um, desires that are arising in the world today. Lord, that we would be your church because we are your people. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you for this time together this morning. And we pray that you would mold and shape us in only ways that you can. Pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So, our first characteristic this morning, and by the way, I didn't give you a, a sermon title. Our sermon title this morning is The Church Defined, Monument or Movement. The Church Defined. Monument or movement. Our first characteristic that we will see this morning, the church has an upward characteristic of sustained worship to the Lord. The church has an upward characteristic of sustained worship to the Lord. You see, what happens is we've just come off of Pentecost. And so we're seeing this definition, this defining point of what the church looks like in light of being encountered and impacted by the Spirit of God. You see, Peter had just given the most amazing sermon ever heard to that point in the early life of the church. Thousands were saved. He pointed them back to the Old Testament and how Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And now he identifies what the church looks like, what the church is supposed to be. Luke's portrait of the church in Acts 2 shows that it, is, it was a worshiping church. So if we understand that the church has an upward characteristic of sustained worship to the Lord, then we can look to Acts 2 and see where that foundation is. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and prayers. An upward focus consumed their lives in light of what had happened in their lives. 
You have to remember that the majority of the people in the book of Acts had seen Jesus, walked with him, walked with him, or were very close to the events or people that did do those things. So a natural response to the experience that these people had through the work of the Holy Spirit in response to hearing the gospel and receiving it properly was a changed and transformed life. You see, what we don't want in Western Christianity is a changed and transformed life. We want a life that's easy. We want a life that's simple. We want a life that's not manipulated by any outside source, a.k.a. God or the Holy Spirit, because we want to be in control. We don't want God to be in control. They worship daily by diving into the Word together. So it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. What does that mean? What were the apostles teaching? Because the New Testament wasn't written at that time. What were they teaching? This is the interactive time of the sermon. What were they teaching? Loud and proud, Miss Mindy? Old Testament. They were teaching the Old Testament. They were teaching the Old Testament that they are also teaching the teachings of Jesus that fulfilled the Old Testament. So it says that they devoted themselves, they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. I mean, if they're worshiping together daily, diving into the word together, eating together by taking the bread and the wine together to remember the Lord Jesus' death, then this should be the natural response of the church today, too. Like, well, Daniel, it's just a different time. Is it? Is it, or have we made it different? Have we began an upward focus on our phones and on our technology and on our, our time doing things? The busyness of our lives that we have forgotten the simpleness of the call to Christ. Be transformed. Be changed. Even if you look at Paul, one of the primary figures in the book of Acts, his focus was amazingly on being with the Lord. His focus was on the heavenly. His eyes were always fixed and focusing on living in a manner worthy of Christ. It was his living act of worship. And you see this same theme reflected in his epistles. I mean, if you were to go to Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brothers... To present your bodies by the mercies of God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of. Wow, I gotta get you guys engaged a little more. Spiritual act of worship. That's what our lives are supposed to be. A spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How was the church's mind being renewed in that day? They were devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the Old Testament, to the teachings of Jesus. Their minds were being renewed that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will. You see, the Spirit of the Lord is still working today. The problem is, are we convictionally and repentantly responding to the Spirit of the Lord? 
You could go on to Philippians 1, and it says, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. There is a world that is dead and dying around us. And it is on our account that we live for God's grace and God's mercy and God's glory, that they may experience Christ. That our brothers and sisters in Christ around us may look, may see and, and experience what it is to live for God's glory, unashamedly and unabound. This is what was happening with the disciples as they faithfully fulfilled what God had called them to do. Did they have all the answers? Nope. Quite honestly, they were a doubting bunch of fools, just like we are many times. But they were faithful to the call that God placed before them. And God filled them and equipped them and walked with them through the process by his spirit. Is that how we're living today? 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Through these three passages, Paul is calling the people to become a people of worship. He's calling each of us to worship God as he is worshiped God. He is calling us to reflect Christ as he is reflecting Christ. Paul isn't focused on a building, but the living God that resides in each and every true believer through the sacrifice that Christ made in our place and the giving of the Holy Spirit into our lives. This is the problem with the church being a monument and not a movement. Are we dedicated to these things? Are we fixated and focused on the Spirit of God and the movement of God working in and through us that we may be a movement and not a monument? That we are living on mission because the mission is ever before us, it hasn't changed, and it's not going to change. Love and worship have always been the highest priority for God's people. Anybody remember the Shema? Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In the Old Testament, this call to love and worship was set out to ensure that God's people would be fit worshipers. They would understand who and what was the utmost priority, and that was God and his glory. Why are we created? Anybody. For God's glory period. That is it. Nothing else added to it. We are all created for God's glory. So if we live lives that reflect 
the grace and mercy that we've been given in Christ, then our lives should be lived for God's glory. Is that happening? Is that functioned out? Worship is the primary characteristic of the church that refuses to become a monument. Worship is the overflow of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. William Temple's definition of worship is helpful in this situation. He says worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination with the beauty of God, and to open up the heart to the love of God that we may devote the will to the purpose of God. Are our wills in each and every one of us devoted to the purpose of God and not our own purpose that we've set up? Are our wills devoted to God and not ourselves? Are our wills devoted to God and not what the world says that it should be devoted to? Because it's really easy to amplify the things of this world but this is supposed to be our entire being, being that we are devoted to the Lord. Weekly corporate worship, no, how, no matter how authentic it appears, is a mockery if through the week we are not reaching up to God together through his word. I want you to hear me again. This matters nothing at all if it isn't reflected out there in your daily life. Being devoted to the teachings Living life together, fellowshipping, breaking bread together, challenging one another on what it looks like to live as the body of believers. This means nothing if it's not happening out there. And we can gather in this place and we can sit under the word of God and the word of God will move because it always does. It doesn't return void. But if it's not happening outside of these walls as well and how we interact with the world around us and how we interact with one another, then it doesn't matter. We should be living life together, challenging one another against what God's word looks like fashioned to our lives. Or better yet, our lives fashioned to it. So our upward worship is both corporate and private. And we do this so that we do not become monuments. So... I'll remind you what that first characteristic was. The church has an upward characteristic of sustained worship to the Lord. It's not on Sunday mornings. It's not on Wednesday nights. It's all the time. Sustained. Ongoing. That's why the beauty of what Jesus says on the cross in John 30, 19, when he, when he says, to tell us I, it is finished, the beauty in the Greek is that it's in present perfect tense and ongoing. Well, then why wouldn't our lives of his glory be ongoing? It's a good question. If his salvation is ongoing through my sinfulness and my shame and that he is constantly forgiving, then shouldn't my life be doing the same thing and reflecting his glory? Well, it's not going to if we're not devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Wow, what a lost art. Prayer. Seems so simple. Yet it seems so far away. Man, I'm just so busy. I can't dedicate time to prayer. I can't dedicate time to the word. My life's just crazy. 
then I'd say your priorities are out of whack. And the glory of God is not your priority. That's what we need to get back to. We need to be in a place where the characteristic of us foundationally as the church corporately is an upward characteristic of worship. This takes us to our second characteristic this morning. The church has an inward characteristic of love, care, and unity with Christ's body, the church. I'll repeat it. The church has an inward characteristic of love, care, and unity with Christ's body, comma, the church. So not only do we have an upward characteristic, but we have an inward characteristic as well. The idea of fellowship that we see in Acts 2 in the Greek translates commonness. And they were in awe, and awe came upon every soul. This is verse 43. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All came upon every soul. All. What is all? All in, in a definition would be awestruck that I am overwhelmed with what I am seeing and what, am I, what I am encountering. If I am awestruck and all has come over my life, then I can do nothing but gaze at the beautiful wonder that God has done, not only in those around me, but in my own life as well. So awe came over all of the people that were transformed by the grace and mercy of God through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So every time we see this word commonness, we're identifying um, a, a, a general perspective or characteristic of the body of believers. You see, what many in the church today don't understand is that we can have some slightly differing perspectives, but if our perspectives are not founded in the Word of God, then we're probably not fulfilling the will of God. This idea of commonness is every time it's used in the New Testament, looks at some kind of sharing something with someone else. And Acts 22 or Acts 2, 40. Two or 43 through 45 makes that abundantly clear. It makes it beautifully clear. They truly cared for one another. They were socially and materially part of one another's lives. They were unified in mission and in function of life. This is paramount for the church then, in its beginning, birthing stages. It's paramount for the church now. The mission and call has not changed, and the one another's of Scripture have not changed. Care, compassion, and love within the local body is to be second only to the worship of God within the body. Listen to Paul's exhortation in 2 Corinthians 12, 15 through 18. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? 
But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those who I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brothers with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? When we think about what is happening right here in Acts 2, and we mirror it to what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is saying that he would gladly spend everything that he has, both physically, spiritually, monetarily, use all of the energy that he has for the maturity of their souls in the gospel. That is what God called him to. It's what he's called the elders here at CCBC, the elders that we are forming at North Park right now. This is what he's called us to, to train and equip the saints for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4. This is our call. Paul is saying that this maturity in the lives of their people, he is saying that he isn't there to take advantage of them, but for the advancement of the gospel and maturity in their souls. This is what we see in the first century church. It wasn't without struggles and sinful guys that just got it wrong. It's still that way today. That's why we need one another. That's why we need this awe standing before the throne of God. This awe of everything that he's done and everything that he's accomplished in our place. To see the work that he is still doing in this day and age. You, you know, if we were to look back at Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and, and, and interacting with them and they're, they're asking for a sign and they're asking for all these things, Jesus' response isn't like giving them a sign, is it? No. The greatest sign that we can have in this day and age is someone being saved by the grace and mercy of God. The greatest miracle that we can have in this day and age is someone being saved by the grace and mercy of God. It's not somebody miraculously being healed from their cancer and still not knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is the utmost and foremost miracle. The transformation of sin and shame in our lives to the grace and mercy being transferred from the darkness to the light. That's the greatest miracle. The crazy thing was they were seeing like real signs and miracles happening at that time too, but they were also seeing the transformation of hearts and lives like they had never seen before. There's an old Charlie Hall song called Hookers and Robbers. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it literally goes through crackheads, trackheads, hookers, and robbers, the naked, the hungry, the mothers, the fathers. And as it unpacks each and every one of these drastic things, it talks about how the grace and mercy of God absolutely transforms and wrecks every one of their lives for his glory. That's what people were seeing. You want to talk about all in signs and wonders? Thinking about these men and women, think about these um, think about the woman at the well. Think about all these people that have been transformed. Now think about what that looks like in this day and age. Think about all the agendas and everything that people propagate in this day and age of 
being broke down, being transformed in this awe coming upon every soul, seeing the many signs and wonders of God redeeming and transforming hearts and lives. They were selling their possessions and belongings. I'm sorry, and they all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Members of the body care for each other as they encourage one another, as they look after each other's spiritual well-being and pray for each other. The local church should consist of cross-generational members that build one another up and reach to other believers in various stages of life around them. We see this to be true in the book of Titus. This is the problem that I see in so many churches today. They want the church and its programs to look like them and to please them. But what they need is believers from every stage of life that are growing in their worship to pour in and pour out to them. That's what the church needs. Why was there this great spiritual giving and physical giving in this time of the early church? Because their priorities changed. What the church today needs to look like, what the church today needs is the church to look like what God calls the church and not what we perceive the church should look like. The church shouldn't look like you and me. Church shouldn't look like a concert or an entertainment thing that you come to. The church should look like a people that desire to glorify God and grow together spiritually as his people. So many do not willingly accept care from the body of Christ because they live in this economy of self-love and self-care that's not biblical. Matter of fact, it's antithetical to the Bible and God. Sometimes loving care is not only meeting the needs and encouraging each other, but it's also correcting and directing one another. This is how they will truly know us. John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So I want you to look around the room. Seriously, look around the room. Don't look at me. Look around the room. Do you know everybody? Do you love everybody? Are you engaged in the life of one another? See, this is really strong to my heart right now because this is what I'm going through in, with our people as well. We're going through the one another's of Scripture and seeing if we're actually applying those things to our lives. Are we willing to give up of ourselves to support a brother or sister that is in deep need? We had somebody walk through our doors this last week, just a guest, never seen them before, husband and wife and their little daughter, got to talk to them for a little while after service, sweet, sweet family. Tuesday morning, the husband committed suicide. That's the pain and suffering that's happening around us, and that's why the body of believers needs us. Both of them were professing followers of Christ. Got to have that conversation with them. Got to have an ongoing conversation with the girl on Wednesday. They need the church. They need Jesus. Are we willing to give up of ourselves for that to happen? 
to be worried about what's happening in the lives of others around us, to come alongside them, to love them through difficulties and sin. That's what the church needs to be is more like Christ. The church needs to reflect this commonness, this desire to propagate and, and prop up one another when we're in need. This is what's gonna draw people to Christ. If we're truly living in a reflection of what Christ has done for us. You see, we were spiritually bankrupt. And Christ died for us. You wanna talk about paying a debt. You can't comprehend. I can't comprehend. I can't understand the depth and the capacity of everything that God has done for me in His Son, Jesus Christ, but I know He did it. Are we in common? Are we seeking to build one another up and seeking to meet one another where we're at? Are we seeking an inward characteristic of love? Are we seeking an inward characteristic of care and unity within the body of Christ? Let us be a people that are known by the inward care and love for the body of Christ so that they see and know that we're his. And it goes on right there in verse 46, and it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with, gladness and gener- with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord, Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Third characteristic. The church has an outward characteristic of taking the gospel to the world in truth and love. The church has an outward characteristic of taking the gospel to the world in truth and love. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the world is the theme of the book of Acts. Acts 1 through 7 tells of its spread in Jerusalem. Acts 8 through 11 tells of its witness in Judea and Samaria. Acts 12 through 28 documents its spread to the end of the earth. Christians were so vivacious in carrying the gospel that all too soon Christians could be found in all parts of the empire. How did this happen? Because this was the normal characteristics of their life. It wasn't something that they showed up and did every, every Sunday or something that they did every Wednesday night. It was how they lived life. They lived life encountering one another and encountering a world that needs Christ. And God showed them favor. And their number increased day by day. The early church was so comprehensive in its outreach uh, spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth that it could not get caught in the evangelical schizophrenia to which the church is now caught up in. I want you to hear that again. They were so focused on the plan and purpose and mission that they didn't get in their way of saying, well, it's the Roman road, or it's this way, or it's that way. No, they were just sharing the gospel and being real with where they were at. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Christ is that Savior. 
There wasn't this evangelical schizophrenia of like, this is the right way, or this is the right way, or this is the right way, and then everybody's like, I don't know actually how to share the gospel. Maybe because it's not true to your life. Mm. What is the gospel? It's pretty simple. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. You see, in the garden, when God made everything, it was perfect and spotless. And God had community and communion with his creation. And we are the precipice of his creation. We are created in the image of God. We are image bearers. But God gave all these things and said, we have dominion over them. But he said, just don't take the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The rest of it's yours. We couldn't even get that right. So Eve takes of it, and just like we see in homes today, the husband's complicit, doesn't take ownership, doesn't lead, and this failure rains down on all of God's creation. Everything's broken. Everything's separated. But God, who is rich in mercy and great in the great love in which he loves us, sent his son to pay a penalty that I couldn't pay myself. He gives us the law to show us his grace. But can we fulfill the law? No. Did Jesus? Yes. That's the gospel. It's not as difficult as we make it to be. And yet the world needs it. The world is suffering. But you see right here, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together. What were they doing in the temple? They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. They were breaking bread in their homes. They received food food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Not people just in the church. All people. Why? Because they were living authentically. They were living authentically in tune with Christ, not in tune with their feelings or their emotions or what someone may think of them, but in tune with Christ. You see, if we live in tune with Christ, then it's not going to matter like what people see because they're going to see Christ. It's when we propagate and prop up our own agendas and our own desires and our own opinions that we get in the way. If the church is supposed to be a church of motion and not monument, then we need to start looking more like Christ. When we look like ourselves, then we're never going to see this forward growth. We're never going to have favor with all people, and we're never going to see numbers added to the church. And I'm not talking about transfer membership. I'm talking about lives changed. So do we know the gospel? Are we so well acquainted with God's word and the grace and mercy that's been poured out to us through Christ and how God was showing us that throughout the Old Testament? Because remember, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles are going, well, this is everything that's happened in the Old Testament. And then Christ fulfills it because we're not able to. It doesn't matter what someone thinks or what someone says or if someone shuns you because you share the gospel with them. What matters is God's glory. Period. That's it. In the final verses of Acts 28, 25 through 27, we see the Apostle Paul. 
and the leaders of the Jewish synagogue in Rome having an ongoing morning to evening debate. As a result, some were transformed by the gospel, while others refused. As the unbelieving were departing, the Apostle Paul gave them a parting exhortation from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. And he said this. This is Acts 28, 25 through 27. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one more statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the prophet Isaiah, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. It's the same call today problem is, is we've put so much emphasis on our own selves that we've missed the grace and mercy of God that's right in front of us. Interestingly enough, Jesus quoted this same passage to the Pharisees that would not hear him in Matthew 13. Their hearts have become dull. All of this goes right along with the church having an outward characteristic so we had an upward we had an inward and the church has an outward characteristic of taking the gospel to the world in truth and love but what has happened is the church has become dull they want to show up and they want to go through the motions and they want to be seen as though they're faithful but is it faithful outside these walls because that's the true mark of a church. In the Greek, dull literally translates fat. A heart so closely surrounded with fatty tissue that is constricted and thus prevented from functioning properly. How amazingly does this application fit the church today? Because the things that constrict our hearts are too numerous to mention. How are our hearts? Sluggish, constricted, thick with fat. Maybe we need to repent of our self-seeking interpretation of life and church and seek what God has called us to be in Christ. Cut the fat. Clear the arteries. Be devoted to, the, to what God has called us to be and not what the world has called us to be. Just like on that day in Acts 28, many will leave churches this morning the same way they came in. Religious men and women walking out the door and spiritually speaking neglect to see the writing of any new spiritual text on their hearts. Others, on the other hand, in Acts 28, just like what we see right here in Acts 2, remained. They grew. They were transformed. They were maturing in their faith. They listened. They heeded. The fat was cut away. 
So we have this upward characteristic. We have this inward characteristic for the life of the body together. And then we have this outward characteristic of being the church and faithfully sharing the gospel. We see this favor that comes with God's people to all people. And that the Lord added to their number those being saved day by day. And our fourth point is not really a, I don't know if it's a characteristic. But I think it's important as we go forward. The church can be a monument or movement depending on who we are in Christ. All of this is predicated upon if we are in Christ and who we are in Christ. The church can be a monument or a movement depending on who we are in Christ. A few of you in this room this morning have been to Montreal. If you've been to Montreal, raise your hand. So we used to have a mission partner in Montreal, Quebec, Little Burgundy to be exact, and we've been there, and it's so interesting to me to go through the streets of Montreal. There's an empty Catholic church on every corner. Monuments, beautiful as they may be, they're empty. They're empty of truth. They're empty of breath. They're empty of life. They are monuments to what the church wasn't and a reminder to us now of what the church should be. We can be empty monuments that have become mausoleums where dead people and dead things reside, or we can be the living, breathing, functioning body of Christ that is moving forward for God's glory. It just lies in our laps. The question is, what do we do with it? Do we live in conviction and repentance to what God's called us to and God gives us favor and the Lord will add to our number day by day? Because the Lord's still working miracles and changing hearts and lives. The question is, are we being faithful to share? Are we being faithful to go forward? Are we being faithful to be the body of believers like we're called to be? In the manner that God shows us and has designed for us. We cannot live off the pretense of man-made definitions of what the church is supposed to be and how the church is supposed to function if we're going to truly be the church. The definitions have been given. The function has already been given. Can we get out of the way to let those things move forward in a healthy manner? We must cling closely to the word of God and let it dwell richly in us. Paul tells us that. We must faithfully let the spirit of the Lord with all wisdom and discernment direct and correct our lives. Together. One of the greatest things that's ever happened in my life is someone holding me accountable to who I am, who I say I am in Christ. Be able to take 
direction in accordance with God's word rightly and be a person that when giving that direction does it in love we must not not find ourselves fat sluggish and constricted but active for God's kingdom and God's glory as the church the church can be a monument or a movement depending on who we are in Christ. Are we putting on a front? Are we playing a game? Are we seeking to elevate and propagate our own ideas and our own opinions? Or are we seeking to elevate and propagate God's word? It's one or the other. And it can't be both if we're going to be faithful. So let's be a church here at CCBC, united in that bond and that likeness with North Park Baptist Church and with other gospel-proclaiming and gospel-believing and biblical devoted church churches around us. Let us lock arms. Let us go to war and go to battle. Let us live life together in the unity of the church like it's supposed to be. And let's not be a monument but a movement for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for this time. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what they're doing. Their desire to be biblical. Lord, our desire at North Park to be biblical. Lord, and I know it's a process and I know it's a lot of procedures and I know it's it's seeking to fit the mold that we see in Scripture, Lord. And I know it's tough and it's a struggle, Lord, but I pray that you'll be with CCBC as they go forward. Let them have hearts and minds and an identity that is so closely knit and locked to you and who you are and what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. That no one can deny, no one can say on the, on the outside, that they're not living, that CCBC is not living for God's glory. And the, Lord, we know that there's going to be haters is probably the best way to put it, but we know that there's going to be people on the outside that speak against us. We know that there's going to be people on the outside that have their opinions and their presuppositions, Lord. But Lord, if we love one another because you have loved us, Lord, They'll eat their words. Lord, if this is a work of you, just just like we also see is it's going to go forward. And so, Lord, I pray that you work and you move in ways that only you can. I pray that you build up and mature spiritually believers. Lord, I pray that you would draw non-believers to us. Let us have conversations. Let us faithfully and transparently share the gospel. Let us seek to build relationships and community with these people that they may find a measure of trust and see it lived out in our own lives, that they may come to know you and see your grace and your mercy, your beauty and your love for them. Just as we sang earlier, friend of Jesus, friend of sinners, Lord, let us reflect that in our own lives as we engage the world around us. 
Let us be a people that are faithfully being what you've called us to be, and that's your church. We love you. We thank you. We praise you for this time together. pray all these things in your sweet and precious name. Amen.